Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today, I'm really excited about the interview because it is with a phenomenally successful uh, lifestyle brand, author, personal development expert. I don't exactly know what to call her, but it is none other than Rachel Hollis, a motivational speaker, one of the top business podcast hosts, a woman who's done a lot of work to empower women all over the place. And she wrote a book during the pandemic called Didn't See That Coming, uh, which is a very fast way to write a book. And she's just a, a great thinker and just been successful on so many different levels that she's been on my list of, God, I want to talk to Rachel for a couple of years. And we finally got our calendars lined up. So Rachel, welcome to the show. Ah, oh, thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. I it, And it's very uh, mutual. I was really excited. I wanted to talk to you forever, sort of selfishly, just wanted to be able to to ask you questions and get to hang out with you. So I'm so excited to be here. Where are you based? I'm in Austin. In Austin. Okay, cool. Yeah. There's uh, there's so many cool people in Austin. I, I There really are. I thought about buying a, a condo there about five years ago and I kicked myself for not doing it because right. Austin's become expensive since then, but I, I'm totally. not in Canada. I mean, and, uh, I, I never would Canada? go there. Are you in Canada? I don't know why I thought you were in LA. Well, Upgrade Labs and Bulletproof Cafe okay, down there. that's why. That's um, but why. yeah, I'm up on Vancouver Island on an organic farm and I started awesome. and built all of my companies from this crazy place where we have sheep and pigs and turkeys and stuff. Like it's, it's hard to imagine, but I guess you can do it. That's awesome. Uh, all right, before we get into your didn't see this coming book, I have to admit as a guy who washes my face only because a few of the people <laughs> who I've interviewed told me, Dave, seriously, like you need to wash your face. Um, you know, I'm a guy. And so I have my little vibrating facial thing and yes. I wash my face and it actually makes a difference. But you wrote a book called Girl, Wash Your Face that like dominated the New York Times list for like 10 years. Okay, I'm exaggerating only slightly. Tell me, why did you name your book, A Girl Will Wash Your Face? What's the deal with that? I missed it. So there's actually a really um, sweet story behind this. I was uh, sitting with an author I really admired, uh, Jen Hatmaker, who's an incredible author in the space that I was stepping into. She speaks to women. She's a teacher. I'd admired her for years. And I was at the place where I knew her, but still very, like, could barely even look her in the eye. I was so nervous to be able to get to have a conversation with her. And she said, okay, sis, what's your next book? And I pee my pants because I can't even <laughs> believe that my hero just asked me this question. And what a lot of people don't understand about me now is that Girl Wash Your Face was my sixth book. So I had written plenty of books and predominantly in the fiction space. That's where I started, and it's a huge love of mine, and I'll go back to it at some point. But I start telling her the story of the book that I want to write, which is, like, crazy. Like, I, I have always dreamed of writing in the fantasy realm and world building. It was, like, wild. And just if for listeners to understand, writing was never my job. I never meant for it to be my job. I never meant for people to know me in that way. I, it was just my hobby. And so she says, what's your book? And I start telling her the story. And as I'm explaining it, she's like, oh, God, no, no, <laughs> no, this, no, this is terrible. And she's very successful in the nonfiction space. She said, no, no, tell me what's the book of your heart? And I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, okay, answer this question. 
if you could tell women anything, what would you want them to know? And I didn't even know that the idea was in me, but I'm like, oh, I just wish that women understood that they are in control of their destiny. I wish that they would take ownership of their lives and what comes next. And I start, I start like, I'm in passion and I'm telling a story and I'm like, you know, it's like, girl, stop whining. Girl, like stop saying you can't do it, girl. And I just kept starting every sentence with girl. And she, who is a Texan, as I'm saying this, girl, stop doing it. And she says, girl, wash your face <laughs> as a joke. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's the title. So for me, that idea, which may not resonate with all of your listeners, but the idea behind washing your face is you've had a good cry, you've mourned what was, now it's time to wash your face and begin again. Stand back up and go again and take ownership of what comes next. So that's why. It, it's kind of a face. rising from the ashes sort of sort exactly of vibe. Right. Okay, I, I get it. Um, <laughs> as someone who just continuously sees the uh, you know the the title come up, I'm, I'm like I'm so curious, but it's right. still even. And I'm, I admit I'm probably not the target audience for for girl wash your face. You are not. <laughs> uh, but I will tell you the title stuck. So you right. did something pretty amazing there. And uh, do you? How do you respond when people try to describe you as as kind of like a a, a woman Tony Robbins ish kind of person? I mean, you have these rock star level yeah. events you put on the rise events. Yeah, does, that, I, does that sit yeah, well with I you get or not? Why? I mean, I get why. Why that said, um, but I actually really hate the term motivational speaker. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, you know, it's. I don't even really like the word motivation because motivation is fleeting. Motivation is um, based on sort of the environment that you're in or something that's happening. Things can trigger motivation, but I think there's so many people out there in the world who are looking for the hack, like, oh, how do I hack feeling motivated every day? And I'm like, you don't. You create rituals and habits that are so consistent in your life that you don't need the motivation to do the things that you need yeah. to do. So um, I, I get why people describe me as that, but I hope that as I continue to evolve and do work and teach that maybe we come up with a better way to explain what it is that I do. What about personal development? I mean, people would generally lump what you do into that field. Is, is that another one of those words that means nothing? Yeah, I don't really love that either. I don't, I don't either. really love, I know, I don't really love, only because there's so much baggage surrounding yeah. the that idea. Um, and I think if you wanna understand the baggage that surrounds that idea, you can watch The Vow on HBO and sort of how people have used personal development or personal growth to kind of manipulate people who are yep. struggling. And I really, I don't think it's that. I honestly, so much of my work is, it's almost more of like, I research all kinds of things. I test all sorts of things out on myself. And so all I am ever saying is what worked for me. I'm telling you what worked for me and I'm telling you my process for how I got there. So that even if what worked for me doesn't work for you, maybe by me explaining my process, you can figure out your own. So I don't think I'm an expert at anything. I, I really, truly am just saying, hey, you guys, this is what happened and it really helped my anxiety or this really helped me establish a morning routine or this really helped me be a better mom. Um, but it, again, I think people sort of describe you in the way that 
is the lowest hanging fruit and makes sense for them. And that's fine. Yeah. It's our natural, our natural inclination to tell stories about almost everything about other people, about events and all. And it looks like a lot of what you're really doing is you're telling people to tell a different story. I hope so. I hope (laughs) that it's the, I, I, you know, I hope it's reframing, right? Um, I have had, unfortunately, um, a lot of really hard traumatic experiences in my childhood. And I am the woman that I am because I learned how to reframe what that story was and what those things meant having gone through them. And I really do live my life in a way where I'm constantly asking like, how is this situation something that can help me? Even when it's painful, even when it's hard, is there any is there any glimmer of goodness in this moment? You know, 2020, yeah, what a year, right? It's been so freaking hard for so many people. But even in the hardship, there's beauty. We've seen incre- like humans doing incredible things and our essential workers and our healthcare workers and people are so inspiring and we've had more time to connect with our families and we've had just this, um, I personally have had rest that I haven't had in a decade and just all of these things. I really do live my life in a way that is looking for the goodness. Um, and I think that that's what ends up coming out in the work. And I hope that if I could teach other people to do the same, that that then changes the narrative and the story they're telling themselves about what's happening. It, it's beautiful the way you're doing that. Uh, in fact, from a neuroscience perspective, the stuff we do um, at 40 Years of Zen, which is a neuroscience neurofeedback company um, that I started about five years ago and w- where a lot of my own personal development work has, has, done, has, has come from, even though I just said personal development. <laughs> but <laughs> the... Uh, the idea there is that when you're going through and working with trauma or stories, you have to find something to be grateful for. Cause if you don't have gratitude, you can't progress to forgiveness or growth or anything else because you're kind of stuck in your own story. So for me, getting rid of a lot of those stories, it has been the thing that turned me from being one of those entrepreneurs, you know, chasing, you know, uh, people will love me when I do this or, you know, I'll be happy when I do that um, to kind of not being motivated by those things anymore. Just, because, well, I kind of achieved the things I thought would make me happy and it didn't work and I got really pissed right. about it. <laughs> right. Did, did you have some of that going on? Like, I'll be happy when I publish my first fiction book or I'll be happy when? How much of that was was in your narrative and when did you drop it? I think I definitely thought, because I grew up very poor and financial struggles were a huge part of my childhood and a huge part of um, the negativity surrounding my parents' marriage and everything always felt hard because there wasn't enough. It was very scarcity minded. There were, there wasn't enough. And I thought if I could just make enough money, if I could just have a million dollars, if I could just get to this place, then everything will be easy. And the reality is that every new level you get to, there's an old expression in church that says new levels, new devils. So like every <laughs> level that you get to, you, you're going to encounter new hardships. Like certain parts of it certainly get easier, but other pieces of it are way more difficult. So I definitely thought that money would be the thing that made it all so much easier. And um, 
I know for sure that it comes down to, can you be content? Can you find joy and happiness in this day, this moment, regardless of what is happening around you? Um, I do a lot of practice for myself in really finding joy. I'm going to sound so cheesy right now, but I truly find so much joy in the simplest stuff. Like so simple. My, one of the greatest, true, I'm not exaggerating. One of the greatest daily joy moments in my life is the fact that at 5 a.m. when my alarm goes off, the coffee is already brewed because I bought a coffee pot that I could program. Like I'm 37 years old. I've never had a coffee pot that I could figure out how to program. And I was like, by God, I am going to figure this out. I know this sounds so (laughs) stupid, but I wake up in the morning and I can smell the coffee and I'm like, what? what? How lucky are we to be alive right now? I mean, look at this, Rach. Like you, you're caught. It's waiting for you. It's just waiting. But that is a conscious choice to find joy in that moment and find joy in moments throughout my day that say, man, if I get the opportunity to do something really cool someday when we're allowed to travel again and I get the opportunity to do like, oh, I'm going to go on this amazing vacation. That feels like you won the lottery. But every single day of my life, I find things in it that are just like, oh, my gosh, you are so freaking lucky to get to have this moment. So you're practicing gratitude on an ongoing basis. Always, all day, every day. Now, along your path here, do you remember what it felt like when you you realized one day, oh, my God, I have that million dollars? Like, What went through your head? I remember the very first time. So I've been an entrepreneur for 17 years. And I would say probably 15 of those years I've had employees. And one of it's one of the things I'm most proud of in the world is the jobs that I have created and yeah. health insurance. And it's a huge part of my identity and what I'm proud of. And for much of my entrepreneurial experience, it was sort of feast or famine. I would have, you know, quarters where we were killing it and I would have quarters where we really struggled and it was just a constant source of stress because if you're a leader and you have people who are counting on you to pay bills, that is a, it's a huge load to carry. And I remember the first check for royalties for Girl Wash Your Face. And I had never made money off a book before, really. I mean, you get like (laughs) $5. Yeah, Yeah. it's hard to make money off books. And so I'd never gotten a royalty check in my life and I'd never, whatever. And I remember um, my husband at the time um, like slid his phone across the table to show me the number that had just hit the bank account. And we were at breakfast and I instantaneously started sobbing because I saw the number and I thought, I will never have to worry about making payroll again. I didn't think, oh, I get to go buy a car or I get some shoes or all I cared about was if that was the kind of money I could produce doing this work, I would never have to worry about this team of people that I care about so much not getting paid. Wow. That's, uh, that's phenomenal. So even then it's, it's service to others. It sounds like is a big part of that on top of your attitude that's keeping you growing the way you're growing. So a core value in my life and a core value of our company is servant leadership. 
is this idea that you care as much about as much if not more about the people in your stewardship or in your responsibility or in your sphere as you do about yourself and um i try truly to live my life that way and i'm constantly looking for ways that that can be more true um you know i give 10% of company profit away to organizations that i'm really passionate about things i really care about um i you know, do my very best to take care of the team that I have. And I also see that in my online community. Some of these people have been with me for over a decade. And so even on days where I'm tired or um, maybe I'm feeling discouraged about something, I truly do try and show up for them because they've been showing up for me, right? Like they buy the book or they buy the you know, jewelry line, or they buy things to support my business. And I see my responsibility in that relationship to keep showing up for them in the way that they've shown up for me. That's, uh, that's beautiful, actually. And I, I love that you can just be so open about it. Um, there are a lot of internet marketing entrepreneurs who do not have that mindset. <laughs> we we <laughs> yes. both know the type, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. 100%. And you've got somewhere around like a couple million followers on each of the major platforms. Yeah. What happens if you don't show up for a few days? Well, you know, I'll tell you, um, in the end of May, um, I we announced that we were going through a divorce, which is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And I was not present on social for about two months, which is... I had not done that in years and years and years. And normally, to be honest, I think I would feel some sense of obligation or maybe anxiety about not showing up for the community, but it truly was a situation where I, I always show up as myself. Whether you love me or you hate me, I am showing up as who I am. And I want to show up authentically and it is also very important to me to be positive to bring joy that is that is who I am as a human being and that is what you will find from me in my work but in that season I did not have any joy to bring to the party I was so it was so hard it was so painful all the only energy I had was for my children and for the team of people who work with me, who I am responsible to be a leader for, that was it. And I was like, I can't also make an Instagram post. And if I do, it's going to be me crying and freaking nobody needs to see that right now. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, so, so that was the only time that I haven't shown up. And honestly, when I did start to be present again, it was just through my email list because those are like the diehards. And it was very raw and it was very honest. And there were some weekly emails where I was just like, you guys, I don't have anything, but I want you to know that I'm here and I promise it's going to get better. I promise I'm going to come back. I promise. I don't know how long that's going to take. I'm going to let myself sit in this grief right now, but I will pull myself back and then we will get back to doing this work. But for right now, I'm going to let myself be a human. Well, congratulations on your divorce. Thank you. <laughs> I, 
I, I love saying that. And I've said that every time someone's told me about their divorce, I've, I was divorced many years ago, man, it feels like crap at the time. Mm-hmm. But as you, as you move through it, you realize, oh, that was probably better long-term because, you know, if something's not working, you keep doing it. That's actually not. Right. <laughs> not healthy not for either, either one of us. Absolutely. I really do think that, um, and have believed this always, you know, um, and I talk about this a little bit in the book that when you've tried everything you can think of and you've spent yeah. years and um, I think our situation was so, you maybe not unique, but feels very unique to me in that we were best friends. There were so many beautiful, good parts of our relationship. And then there were pieces of it that were deeply unhealthy. And you can try and man, we did every way to fix those things. And at some point, the unhealthiness, like you're, it's just now manifesting and, and kind of making it worse. So as hard as this has been, I know in the marrow of my being that we will both be better off in the long run and that our family, because we are still very much a family of four kids together, our family will be so much healthier and so much stronger because of this decision. Wow, that, that it's heavy to be a CEO and to be having all these other employees right. running at the same time, right? While that, in a global pandemic, weight. yes. And, and writing a book, which right. uh, to me, writing a book takes a lot of energy. Yes, yeah, that was, um, that was, I actually was writing something totally different. I was writing the book that was meant to come out, which would probably be interesting just given the work that you do. I was writing a book on health. It was a conversation I wanted to have for a really long time, specifically about women and the way we are taught to view our bodies and what health for so many women is about looking, having a certain aesthetic, regardless of how you feel mentally, emotionally, regardless of whether or not you're actually taking care of your body, And so I wanted to have this conversation, but typically when I write, I write with a lot of humor and a lot of irreverence and inside of COVID quarantine, I started editing the book. So it's already been written. I started editing the book and I was just like, my God, the tone is, it's so tone deaf. It feels so wrong to bring out this book talking about health and I'm like making jokes and I'm being silly. Nobody can receive that right now. Yep. And so I started to think about, man, what would you want to say if you could, same question, Jen asked me that day, what would you want to say if you could say anything? And I thought, well, I don't know how to, nobody knows how to deal with a global pandemic in 2020, but there are tools and resources and tactics that people have used to deal with the side effects of what is happening. And I have a lot of experience with dealing with anxiety, grief, crisis, loss. And so could I take sort of my learnings and put them into a book so that maybe if you're going through something hard, whether it's you lost your job, you're going through divorce, you're sick, you're you're navigating something difficult, or you're sort still carrying the baggage of a difficult thing, that maybe you could use the resources in this book to help you through. How much do you think your divorce and like your personal situation flavored the book versus the 
the kind of disaster in the world around. Right. Well, so I wrote the first draft of the book while we were still together. Okay. And could you see the the end coming though? In retrospect, I could, I I wasn't conscious, but I could sort of feel it. It was in your body. Okay. Yeah. It was in my body. Like we had been, we had been talking about this for years and we had publicly talked about, we, you know, did a podcast together and, we talked about these conversations and the things that we were working on. And um, in retrospect, I can see sort of that my spirit was signaling, um, but I couldn't accept it. I mean, part of, I don't know other people who have maybe gone through similar things, but I was with Dave for 18 years. He was the only man I've ever been on a date with. That is how I was 19. I was a child. Um, And so I didn't even know another world. And I didn't even know how to imagine another world. Um, And by the time, so I had sent the book in. And by the time I got edits back, um, we were in this place. And then I found myself trying to figure out how in the world if you if if a core value of mine is authenticity and being honest about where I am, how in the world am I going to release a book about crisis and grief and loss? And people are going to know that I went through this thing and not touch on it. So the first draft of this book is written outside of grief, and the edit is written inside of grief. And so I think it has a really unique perspective and sort of existing in both of those places, which is not something I've ever done before and not something I hope to ever do again. Yeah, wow. What a, what a powerful way to put reality into a book. How would you generalize the, the grief angle? Right now we're in the middle of elections and somewhere close to 50% of the population is going to be feeling grief right. in a right. few days. Absolutely. <laughs> How, how do you apply those, those really personal grief lessons towards people who are just feeling like it's the end of the world if the person they're rooting for doesn't win? What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Uh, uh, That conversation is so interesting. Um, I I feel like we have gotten into such a wildly twisted place. I I had made a video on election day that I had no idea. (laughs) I do this very often. Where I have no idea that what I'm about to say is inflammatory and then it sort of explodes. <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> right. We're on election day. I just, I made a video and I was like, hey, I don't know who needs to hear this, but it's going to be okay. Just everyone, oh. let's take a deep breath yeah. together. It's going to be okay. So uh, that was all the video was about. And I said, whatever way you're voting, 
have a plan for how you're going to take care of yourself emotionally and mentally if it doesn't go the way that you want it to. Because people really are making this the end. It's like the end times in both directions. <laughs> yes. And man, I, sir, I am the most liberal human on the planet. I am very clear about what I hope is about to happen right now. And if it doesn't, we're going to be okay. Right. The, well, I, I, I loved your post uh, about that. <laughs> I, I just recently started following you. I will admit uh, that I hadn't followed you before just because <laughs> I actually don't follow that many people on social media. You probably well, I feel, don't either. I feel excited. Thank you for following. So that was one of your first posts that I saw. And I was like, wow, this is so good. And it was funny because I also had a, a kind of a similar vein thing that that's like, you know, it, it's so it, it's okay to be all right with, with whatever. Same thing. People right. got really mad about it. Yeah. So then I'm like, all right, I'm going to be a little bit real. And I posted one that said, um, does waiting for the election results kind of feel like waiting for STD test results? Yes. Uh, <laughs> right. And both of them made some people mad and made some people laugh. But the idea that we're going to survive, there aren't a lot of people out there saying that. Right. And why and do you think, think people get mad about that? I think that the the media and there are so many great things about social media and media, but there are also really negative things. And I think that it has spun us up into a frenzy and people really think we've, we've started hating our neighbors because they don't vote like us and we're judging other people. And it's just gotten to this insane, insanely divisive place. And the reality is I think most Americans woke up on election morning and went to work at their minimum wage job and are they couldn't freaking care less who the president because they are they got to pay rent this month and they have to take care of their kids and they're mowing lawns or cleaning toilets or washing dishes or it's like your ability to sit on social media and freak out over politics is one of the most privileged things <laughs> in the world like why don't you use that energy to go affect change that you want to affect in the world like harassing people on instagram isn't going to do jack but you get to make yourself feel like you're part of some movement because you're all worked up like man go go volunteer go show up go like i don't know i saw um I saw, I live in Texas and there's a lot of very conservative people here in Texas, which is hilarious. Austin's a really funny place to live because Austin is wildly liberal, but then it's Texas. And yep. I was dropping my daughter off at preschool this morning and there was a guy in a big old truck with a big old Trump flag off the back. I mean, he's got a flag on his truck and my kids, I have two sons in middle school who are like, oh, mom get a load of this guy, right? And my first instinct, I heard this years ago, and I love, I don't know who said this, but I love this expression. They said, your first thought is what the world told you to believe. And your second wow. thought is who you actually are. And so I saw this guy with his big old flag, and I was like, freaking good grief. You know, all the thoughts that I have in my mind. And and then my second thought was like, man, that is a daddy dropping off his toddler at preschool. That is just a man. That is your neighbor. 
that guy has a name. He has a family. It doesn't make him bad. It doesn't make him evil. Like we have, we have gotten to this place so that we can't even exist with people who don't vote like us or have the same religion or believe what we believe. And whether people like it or not, I'm just going to keep over here in the corner beating my drum for, I believe this thing, but I love and accept and respect you if you don't. I, you don't have to vote like me. You can, be, you can vote however you want. doesn't make you a bad person. Now, are there bad people? Yes, on both sides of this line. But when we start to see people as less than human because mm-hmm. they don't do it the way we do it, we are, we're, missing, we're missing the whole thing. So, so beautifully put, Rachel, uh, there, there's a different level of we're all people and we're all kind of on this, this bubble. Uh, right. I don't mean a pandemic bubble. It's kind of called the earth. Uh, so there's, there, there's a bigger aspect and uh, there are a great number of people, maybe I'm guessing a third of people from what I've seen on social who just are, are in a place of panic where they are not seeing reality. Um, and I don't mean one side or the other. Uh, I don't mean my reality, right. they're, they're just, they have this doom, you know, in times, like you right. said. Right. And some of the lessons in, in your book, you know, about grief and all apply there, but is there actionable stuff? Maybe some people listening to this right now are already getting triggered. And if, if so, then like get a therapist. But if you yeah. don't have a therapist, <laughs> right, Rachel, what is your advice? Like give me the steps to, to let go of that, to come back into a little bit more of a, of a centered place. Well, in my own life, I'd like to come back to the question of what is true. What is real? Mm, what is true? The Byron Katie kind of stuff. Right. And for me, I can get I can get worked up. I can get nervous about things at work. I can get, you know, someone will say something on social, just kind of hit me in the right way and that'll, you know, hurt my heart. And I can sort of get affected by those things. And what I always come back to is like, okay, but what about your very, your real life? Like what is true in your life right now? So I was before we jumped on, I was recording a podcast for, for my podcast, which is what to do when everything feels hard. Because that's something that I'm hearing a lot. Everything feels yeah. hard. I'm overwhelmed. And I think that this sort of walks hand, hand in hand with grief in that you have to accept what is. What is? What has happened? What is the reality that we are dealing with today? And whatever that looks like in your life, you've lost someone you love, you've lost your job, you've lost your business, you're mourning the loss of what was going to happen, or you're transitioning into this new world. And the first thing is you you have to be honest about what actually is happening, not what you are telling yourself is happening. Because when I think of the question of everything feels hard, for me, what I want to follow that up with is is everything hard or does everything feel hard? Because those are two completely different things. And once you know what the answer is, once you have accepted what actually is, then I think you have to allow yourself to hold the pieces, the, the hard stuff, the suffering, the things that are painful. You have to allow yourself to hold those so that you can process them. And then... I also think that you have to look for which parts can you affect. So the example that I use 
in the podcast I was just recording is one of the members of my community. I was just going back and forth with her in DM because she, her mom has cancer and Mm -hmm. it's terrifying and awful and hard and all of the things. And that is something that is so big and so massive that everything feels hard. But if, if she can get to a place where she can allow herself to unpack all of the pieces of that pain. So my favorite piece of advice for people, and I give this tip so much that I feel like I'm going to start getting letters. People are going to say, stop saying this is (laughs) journaling. It doesn't cost anything. Grab a pen, grab a piece of paper or a notebook and just use this prompt. Everything feels hard because, and just start going. And when I journal, I give myself a minimum time frame. So I say, you have to sit here for 45 minutes. I do that because oftentimes when we journal and we just, I just can't like stream of conscious, just write down anything that pops into your head. You'll write for about eight minutes. And then you're like, that's all I have to say. But if you know that you have to sit there for 45 and meditate on this question, about 10 more minutes go by. And that's when the magic starts to happen. That's when the stuff that's kind of below the surface, the true worries, the true concern, the real authentic you, that's when it starts to come out. So for me, uh, I was giving this direction to her. I said, unpack all of the things that feel hard about mama being sick. You know, you're scared. You don't know what the future holds. You, you want to be able to spend time with her. You want her to feel loved and supported. You want all of this stuff. And if you look at all the pieces that are painful, all the things that are, that are worrying you, some of those you cannot change, you cannot affect, and you just have to hold them. It sucks and it's awful and it's unfair, but you just have to hold them. But if you can unpack it, there are parts of that that you can affect. You want to make sure mom feels loved and supported? Awesome. You can come up with a list right now of something you can do every single day. You can speak to her in her love language. You can show up how she wants it. You can get her friends involved in her church community. Like you can come up with a plan that will help you affect the parts of it you can touch. And in that process, in that progress, it helps you to feel more centered. It helps you to feel more calm. And it is a massive stress relief when you're facing hard things. So inside of grief, it's the same. There are parts of that that you're going to have to hold, but there are pieces that you can use tools, use tactics, and sort of pull yourself forward up out of the place that you're in. And that honestly is the book. It was all the tools that I could come up with that might help you do that. One of the pieces of advice in the book that resonated with me was the idea when you say don't wallow, you know, show up for yourself and your kids if you have them. Wallowing is something that that is irritating to everyone when they see other people do it, but it's hard <laughs> for us to know if we're doing it. That's real. And, and in a, a recent interview, I was interviewing Scott Barry Kaufman about at. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and a new interpretation. And he said, Dave, there's the kind of narcissism that we've all heard of, which is this grandiose narcissism that says, oh, 
you know, the world owes me stuff because I'm so great. Right. And then that story, you're always unhappy and angry because, you know, I, I don't get what I deserve. And then he said the flip side of that, that I had never considered as a real thing was victim narcissism, mm. where I have suffered. Therefore, I deserve a whole bunch of stuff because suffering is a virtue. And how does that kind of thinking, which I'd never heard of, but really landed with me, how does that tie in with wallowing? Like, how do you get out of wallowing and not fall into that trap? I mean, gosh, I feel like this sort of splinters out in so many directions because you say that and I think of, I tend to think of the people in my life that I tend to think of who sort of cling to that story. They cling to mm -hmm. the hurt that's been done to them and the access they don't have and the things that they don't get. And I tend to think of those people as they're more, this is the world that they know. This is the reality that they know. And so they hold on to it, you know, because we'll hold, we'll stay inside of discomfort and pain because at least it's discomfort and pain that we know than to try and step out and do something new. When I think of the wallowing that I reference in the book is there are times in your life where you have people counting on you that you are not, you can't, you cannot yeah just pull the covers over your head and give up. This to me, this was such a thing inside of COVID. I mean, I run a business where our number one stream of revenue is live events. Yeah, I had one of those too. Right, <laughs> and you know, March happened. I mean, we just had finished our event in Toronto. I mean, we were like the cutoff the first week in March. And even then I remember being like, what is this thing everyone's talking about? Like just so stupid, had no idea. And we got back to Texas and it was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And I had about a week where I drank a lot of vodka, um, <laughs> trying to <laughs> come to grips with what it was, but I don't have I don't have the luxury of, you know, everyone was like, oh, I'm just going to watch Netflix and then reemerge when this is all over. I'm like, okay, well, I have 60 employees. I do not have that luxury. I have kids who are counting on me. And I'm sure your listeners, same thing. There are people in your life who are counting on you. You don't have the luxury of falling to the floor and staying there. And that doesn't mean that you don't allow yourself to feel grief or process pain or you know, do the therapy, do the work, cry your heart out, do whatever, like going through divorce. I have my kids half the week. So half the week they're with their dad, half the week they're with me. And when we, when I first moved out, the half the week that they were with him, I cried my eyeballs out. I did my work because that's what I needed to do for my team. And I was super low and I drank and I ate a lot of cake and I let myself feel... <laughs> the things that I was feeling and I journaled, good God, don't let anyone ever find that journal. Like I just let myself feel it. I did the therapy. I went to an energy healer. Like I did everything that I could. But when those babies show back up at my house, they don't want mama crying. They want to know yeah. what's for dinner. What game are we going to play later? Are we going to watch a movie? Can you help me with this project? Like, and that is my responsibility. That is my responsibility as a parent to show up to the best of my ability because they're counting on me. And I think that 
what a blessing that I have a why that big. You know, I have a why that is that big. And I think that most people have a why that is that big, but they don't think about it. You know, you think, oh, the kids are going to be fine or like I have help. They'll be okay. Or someone else is going to. No, no. This is what you signed up for. When you signed up to be a parent, when you signed up to be a leader, when you signed up to have a team, this is what you signed up for. And this is this goes back to this idea of servant leadership for me, that I believe that it is my role to show up even on the days that I don't feel like it and even on the days that it feels hard because these people show up for me, this team shows up for me, and it is my job to show up for them. How do you know when to ask for help? Oh my God, I ask for help all the time. I live in a constant state of asking for help. I stopped <laughs> trying to be superwoman a long time ago. You, you can't I, grow a company the no. way you have <laughs> unless you nope. become good at it. But how no. did you learn to do that? I don't get the impression that when you were young and traumatized that asking for yeah. help was your default behavior. Um, no, good call. Um, when, I, it, when I was a young mom, so when I had my two sons, I um, accidentally had two sons very close together. And those were oh, really work. hard years. Um, and trying to grow my business and have these two toddlers and I really felt like I had to make it look easy and I had to have the perfect life from the outside and I had to throw the perfect Thanksgivings and birthday parties and the whole thing. And then honestly, I'm not going to say that I came to this like magical epiphany on my own. I got really sick. Um, I got really bad vertigo. I had vertigo for about a year. Wow. And I, the way that I handled vertigo was I thought, okay, you were working, you were giving 100% effort. Now you have vertigo that's, that's taken off about 20%. So now you're going to have to show up at 120% every day. I was a workaholic. I had no idea how to deal. I saw every doctor, like, do you have a tumor? Do you, is it a vitamin deficiency? I tried everything. And then I went to um, a homeopathic doctor, one of the weirdest people I've ever met in my life. Crystals, ponytail, like it was like something out of a movie. And the entire session, I was in front of him, but he talked this direction. <laughs> he didn't talk oh, wow. to me. He was like talking to the spirits in the room. But I was like, at that point, if you want to sacrifice a chicken and it will take this vertigo yeah. away, I'm here for it. I've been that desperate. I get right, it. Right, yeah. right. And he said, oh, like I talked and talked for probably an hour. And then all of a sudden he was like, Dup, I know what your problem is. And I was like, what? And he was like, this is all emotional. None of this is physical. Did, did you want to punch him? I did. I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And then he went back over so many things that I said, sort of pointing out like, the oh, this is when this is happening or this is the, and I was like, and I mean, it completely changed my life. Uh, wow. Did a ton of therapy, sort of started to understand why these things were happening in my life. Fundamentally changed my life forever. But that was the breaking point for me was understanding that I was trying to live this life that was false, which is why it's so important to me to be authentic. I was trying to please everybody around me with complete disregard to myself or my health or anything. And so I just started raising my hand and I'm the first person to say, I will happily say it on your show for any moms who need to hear this. 
I have a nanny. I've had a nanny since my oldest son. I have four kids. Since my oldest son was three months old, I've had a nanny because it would be absolutely impossible for me to work at this level without childcare. I have a housekeeper. She comes twice a week. She cleans my house. It, freaking, today's Friday, which means Sherry's been at the house. So I'm going to go home to a clean house. It's so exciting. <laughs> um, and then I have an incredible team of people who, you know, I'm, I am constantly looking for people who are smarter than me, who can do it better, who know how, because there's no way I hold all the knowledge. So it was a, it was a forced thing to learn. It, it sounds like you learned how to be vulnerable at that time. Yeah. I think learning to admit that I didn't have it all together and that I didn't yeah. have all of the answers, uh, was a, was a huge piece of the journey for me. And and I think that this maybe sounds weird. I always think that this is kind of an interesting conversation to have with a man because I don't know a lot of men who struggle with this, but I know so many women who struggle with being a people pleaser, which feels like this kind of, oh, that's not a big deal. Like, who cares? Like, you're a people pleaser. You want people to like you. That being raised in the way that I was and the way that many women are raised in that your value is tied up into whether or not people approve of you, whether or not people like you, whether or not people think you're pretty, is decimating. Is and any guy who who's been codependent has mm, a meaningful amount of that. I I was codependent earlier in life that's because really you're responsible. You know, you're responsible for other person's happiness. It's it's all about right. you or whatever feelings they have. So then you know you're always trying to please people. And yeah, that, that's a toxic place. But the difference with men and women there is there's more of the physical side in our culture for women. You know, mm -hmm. you have to look a certain way. Right. You can be um, an, uh, a 300 pound computer hacker. Right. <laughs> and it's okay if you're a dude, that would be me uh, in an earlier iteration. Um, but you still can have the same mindset, but it's just less physical. And I think knowing how much time a lot of women spend in the bathroom and getting ready in the morning Oh my God, that's a big burden. <laughs> so. Well, and even, I mean, this is, this is a lot of the work that I'm doing right now is how much of our capacity to think, how much of our mind we give every day to how we look, to what size our genes are, to, to our weight, to all of these things. And I just think if you, like, if you could just not worry about that again, if you just never again thought, I look ugly, my butt looks weird in these pants, how much like thought process does that open up for you? Like it, how many companies will never get invented, nonprofits will never be started, um, products that we would love, books we would love, podcasts we wanna listen to will never be created because women are so tied up in second guessing themselves and feeling like they're wrong and feeling like other people won't approve or they're gonna fail. How many things will never exist because of this stupid desire to have everybody like you, to be the popular girl? You know, wow. it's a- it's so a, powerful. Right, it's a wild, wild thing. And I think that society has tried a lot in the last you know, decades to have conversations about what this looks like. But to me, it's still not, we're still not quite getting that piece right. We're still not talking about it in the right way. 
I'm not going to go off on that tangent. <laughs> it, it feels like we're at least moving in the right direction. I yes. mean, you look at the, the yes. 50s housewife and corsets and stockings and high heels and Absolutely. whatever they did to their hair back then. It, I like to think it's better now, but I could be wrong. Totally. No, I no, 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 no. You know, I mean, it's a, a million, <laughs> no, it's a million, million times better, but it's still, it's still, you know, it's like most things. It's not where it should be. And I think yeah. it's still this, um, there's this weird thing that the, my, this is my, this is my soapbox. This is my drum. I'm going to beat on it forever. It's funny to talk to you about this because of all the work you've done in the health space. But for me, I want to approach health at, about how we feel, not how we look. That is the core of what I do, Rachel. That, and like, it, the, the abs are a side effect right. of eating to have a lot of energy. And that, that's <laughs> the thing. That is exactly the thing that I like that people I, I keep trying. I, I talk about this at conference. I try and explain this in books is like the end result will be the same. You yeah. will just pursue it from a place of love and excitement about your body and seeing what it's capable of and challenging yourself instead of a place, a place of shame, instead of a place of hating yourself, instead of a place like I truly all I care about in the world. I'm going to say this to you and you're you're like the exact person to talk to about this. My biggest focus in life is all to live in such a way that my brain can operate at the highest level. That's it. There you go. That's we can we it. can be good friends. Right. That's, that's it. All, <laughs> that's all that, that matters. All that matters to me, like what I am eating, how I'm sleeping, what all of it is. Everything. How can I have the greatest ability to focus to do this work? Because I'm I'm sure you and I have similar worlds in that our schedules are packed. We have a family that we want to show up for. All of it is is my brain. It, it's the, unimaginable to most people. In fact, the reason um, that I, I, when Bulletproof started, it was called the Bulletproof Executive because no one ever talked to us, like the busy people who were maybe carrying a greater cognitive burden. And research has come out that says CEOs, men or women, we have as much energetic output as a Super Bowl quarterback. Right. But it's all in our brains. Right. And man, if that starts misfiring, for me with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, it kind of like when you had vertigo, I'm like, I don't know what to do here. I'm right. 26 years old and my career is taken off and I'm turning into a zombie and I can feel it happening. And right. it, it's terrifying. Um, but it really just brought it home for me. And if your brain doesn't work, who cares right. if you're fat or not? Right. <laughs> it's right. much less relevant. 100%. And the side effect then of living my life in a way that wants a, my brain to be able to function at the highest level means my energy is through the roof. Yeah. I have never been in this kind of shape ever. Like all of these things that from the outside you would sort of look in and go, oh, she's trying to pursue a certain aesthetic or she, no, I'm not. I'm actually, my aim is something completely different, but I'm getting to the goal that maybe you're pursuing, but I'm doing it in a way that's like so good for me, so joyful, so like loving of myself. And also I've never worked like I am able to work now because I sort of figured this piece out. Because you're, you're glowing with energy and right. your body will match. Uh, right. that's, that's so cool. Rachel, I, I appreciate your work in the world. You are affecting a lot of people in a really powerful way. And you hear that probably like 15 times a day. <laughs> but for what it's worth, uh, I see that in you. And your new book, Didn't See That Coming, is really cool. And I love how it just kind of raw 
and uh, and real it is. And I think the way you're talking to women, especially, is uh, is really valuable uh, because that idea. Uh, now that I understand more about the the idea of wash your face after a bunch of shit happens to you, okay, right. now I get it. Right, exactly. <laughs> so so thanks for doing that, and for people listening to the show, um, Rachel's works have uh, definitely stood the the test of time, uh, and they have. I mean, if, if you look, was it a hundred plus weeks on the New York Times bestseller list now? Yeah. Okay. Look. That is a mark of a book that no amount of marketing, no amount of sales, no amount of internet. SEO, whatever garbage can possibly do that. Right. It's just because people read it and was like, oh my God, this is worth it. I want to do it. I, I want to do this again. So um, I would I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the book or follow Rachel if you like what you heard. And you can tell she's uh, she's the real deal. So Rachel, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. And just, I, I think you're awesome. Oh, thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.